You've read or heard or preached the scripture this week. Now what? Join me, Pastor Carissa, and my colleague, Pastor Alan, as we explore the spaces between the Sundays in our podcast, Soft Idolatry. Welcome to Soft Idolatry, Season 6, Episode 4. Carissa, how's it going today? A little rainy and humid here in Pittsburgh, but it's going all right. How about you? Uh, Sunny and humid here in Jersey. Um, And... uh, yeah, you know, good. It's it's one of those days where uh, church is being church, and there, church there, is being church. There there are little fires everywhere to put out. Um, nothing horrible, but lots of little things going on, and um, things that feel like they could. Uh, little things that feel like they could derail bigger projects and uh, and and though I had a week of vacation it felt like church kept trying to break into my vacation Uh, so it was nice to be off but I wasn't completely off and note to self when when I'm on vacation I better get out of Jersey (laughs) Yeah, get the hell out of Dodge, right? Yeah, it's, um, we need to get that on a t-shirt. Well, maybe we'll do a soft idolatry t-shirt that mm. says churches be in church. Mm-hmm. <laughs> churches be in church. I like that. Um, yeah, it's, it's funny because, um, I, I actually was reflecting a little bit on this too, um, that it's, it's funny when we're on vacation. So my office manager's on vacation right now and she is also having a hard time being on vacation and I keep having to text her and say nothing's on fire go take a nap and have a glass of wine (laughs) like stop checking your email but it's really hard right when everything feels urgent and you know in our setting in a correctional facility like a much of what we do really truly is urgent and a lot of it is actually a matter of life or death or, or safety and health right um, so it can make it really difficult to stop <laughs> and be elsewhere. It can make it really hard to, to do. And I just finished up a paper for an adaptive leadership class. Um, and I was reflecting on how in coming into this office, you know, one of the things you have to do as a leader is figure out when to dial up the heat. <laughs> Right, when to to crank it up a little bit to get people moving in the right direction. But you also have to know when to like turn it back so people can take a deep breath and really truly reflect on the situation in a good and healthy way. And I've I've done a lot of that dialing down the heat because there was such a high level of urgency and anxiety when I came in and uh We talk about that a lot as pastors, especially in seminary, about how part of our job or a lot of our job or most of our job is being a non-anxious presence. Ooh, them some classic seminary words for you. Yeah, they are. If we were playing seminary bingo right now, that's a square. (laughs) Non-anxious presence. It's right up there with, I'm going to piggyback off of what so-and-so said. Let's unpack that. Uh, The the piggybacking or the non-anxious presence? (laughs) No, no, just the unpacking being with bingo. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. That's, oh, I 
really took you seriously for a minute there. I just hear that so much. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, there were lots of seminary bingo words. But non-anxious presence, I think, is a really important one. It's not just jargon. It's not just um, pastor speak. It's a really important concept that I think is good for any sort of leader, especially church leaders, because church can get churches be in church all the time right um but also just for like any practicing person of faith out there in your faith community this idea of non-anxious presence is really important because when people are anxious problems happen yeah there there are ripple effects and um especially when you are in ministry if you bring your anxieties into your space of ministry, you will communicate those anxieties in some way, shape, or form. And um, it really affects the situation in a bad way. Um, my first training in this was my seminary internship. And I was uh, tagging along with my coordinating pastor to make a hospital visit. And it was one of my first, if not my very first, hospital visit. And we were meeting a woman who uh, maybe had some developmental uh, disabilities. She also had um, a, a very... Um, she, she had a skin condition that I think she just had, like, skin tags all over her face and it was very 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 noticeable and before we went in the room the pastor told me okay you need to know about this woman and you need to know that she looks different and you need to not react to that because if you do you have a problem but she is going to interpret it as something is wrong with her and she's going to shut down and she is not going to be able to receive the ministry that I am here to give her. So get ready <laughs> and, and do not react or respond to her physical ailment. You just described like 90% of my day these days, right? Like that's chaplaincy in a nutshell <laughs> is like, um, you know, mm. like hospital chaplaincy, nursing home chaplaincy. There's a lot of medical things you need to not react to. Um, correctional chaplaincy. There's just a lot of people saying stuff that you need to not react to kind of non-reaction, right? Um Kind of like Jodie Foster at the beginning of um, Silence of the Lambs as she's walking Maybe, past. Yeah, I mean, it's not generally that bad. But what I mean is like when you're doing pastoral counseling bad, with someone yeah. who has been incarcerated, you're going to hear some things, right? And yeah. you need to still be a loving, caring, non-reactionary person in those moments. Um, and so... You know, that that definitely carries over. One of the things I reflected on in that that paper that I wrote this week um, was uh, reflecting on how not different from congregational church <laughs> chaplaincy actually turns out to be. Um, you know, I've got a lot of the same kind of moving parts with, you know, the, the staff that I have in my department. And then we've got the staff and administration for the jail. And then we've got all of the, our, our inmates. Right. 
Um, and so there's a lot of those, those similarities and, and being able to compartmentalize to be a non-anxious presence is one of those things. Um, and, and I say this as a person who has a generalized anxiety disorder, right? I'm not telling you people out there that you're a bad person. If you have anxiety, you just need to learn how to navigate it in such a way that it does not project onto the people around you in a ministry setting. It definitely splashes over onto my spouse and my children sometimes when I get home and I've been like keeping it together all day. Uh, we get to our safe spaces and, and kind of lose our minds a little bit. Um, and, you know, I think that's one of the important things about being a non-anxious presence is having um, colleagues and, and friends and family that you can lean on when you are feeling anxious that can help you dial it back right you know like we you and I talk about these things off the air um a lot more candidly than we talk about them on the air <laughs> um and you know I've got other friends and colleagues who who I can connect with in fact one um is in a stressful ministry setting right now um that I've been in before and we were talking the other day and this, this person said when you were in this situation how did you navigate that how did you control all of these big horrible feelings and still maintain a calm presence around your congregation and I was like I called you in tears like every other day do you remember that <laughs> <laughs> so yeah yeah and and the, the nature of ministry is that you will have those situations. There, there is no way uh, there is no way as a solo pastor that you will skate through your ministry at one congregation without dealing with some degree of that at some time. And if you um, did figure that out, please write in and tell us because we yeah. would love to hear about that freaky, freaky incident <laughs> of nothingness where church yes. was not being church. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, you know, you could have, I suppose you could have an interim pastorate that was not terribly long and nothing exploded on your watch. But I can tell you that in my first interim pastorate of just about one year, something major exploded on my watch. And I think I was on your porch every other day. <laughs> I think that's Scotching. True. <laughs> I think that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and I also like, I, t I, I think that we need to have non-anxious presences in our lives and that's, you know, like we can be that for one another and you don't have to be pastors to have a relationship where you can be a non-anxious presence for one another. And also you don't need to be a pastor to have a spiritual director and a therapist. <laughs> Like those are really important things to have, too. I'm sorry, a what? Therapist. Spiritual director. Um, go ask your mom. <laughs> that was not a yo mama joke, for those of you who don't know. No, my, my, my mother actually is a therapist. Um, <laughs> as soon as I said that, it sounded like a yo mama joke. <laughs> yeah, no. We, we weren't going there. No, but no, I no. just um, I love your mom. Yes. She's fantastic. Yes, um, but but why would we need therapy? We're 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 spiritually aware. We know the scriptures. We we must be uh, on some 
some moral plane that, that we don't need these things, right? So here's something important to know. Compassion fatigue is a real thing. <laughs> Secondary trauma is a real thing, and we need to guard ourselves against that. Um, we actually, um, one of the things that, that correctional chaplains need to be prepared for is that law enforcement and correctional officers have an exceptionally high rate of death by suicide compared to the general population. And uh, I truly believe that compassion fatigue and secondary trauma play into that in a huge way. Um, when you're just in the mess of humanity day after day and you're seeing people at their worst day in and day out and night after night, that is exhausting to your soul. Yeah, how, how, how can it be anything but exhausting to your soul? And that's, I, I mean, I, I, I have often said that um, as pastors, we're we're we have similarities to physicians and we have similarities to police officers in that we are all called to respond to external events you know like like a doctor i know that i have some predictable tasks that i will have i have to write a sermon every week a lot of doctors write papers and try to get published um you know but when you are law enforcement or corrections uh all you see is people at their worst it's not just the routine stuff and at least as a minister in a parish setting i do occasionally get to baptize a baby um i do occasionally uh get to see people at their best and Actually, pre-pandemic, I got to see people at their best a lot of the time. But right now, we're all in this place where we are so anxious about everything because of the pandemic. Because this this has just uh, taken the lid off of some of the worst parts of ourselves. Yeah, I think as a culture, we're like collectively suffering compassion fatigue because we've been asked for so long to wear a mask and get a vaccination and socially distance and, you know, be really aware of the danger other people are facing all the while, while we're at our most like scared and annoyed and frustrated and isolated. It's just a really difficult, um, difficult season for everybody. But I think... By that same token, we are more in need of non-anxious presences than ever before. Mm -hmm. Without a doubt. And so I guess, I guess the question would be, how, how do you practice that? And how can we offer a bit of training to our listeners in practicing non-anxious presence? Yeah, I think that's a really great question um one of 
the skills that I, I like to, I, I teach a class on trauma and abuse recovery. And it, one of the after effects of, of trauma can often be sort of this inability to compartmentalize feelings in appropriate ways. And so there are some tools, some, some skills that you can use to control the, the emotional heat of a situation, right? And that includes anxiety for sure. Uh, one of the visualizations that I really like is you think about if you're wearing a winter coat, if it's really, really cold outside, you keep that coat zipped up all the way. If it's a little bit warmer, you might unzip it a little bit and a little bit. Um, but it's not until you're inside where the heat's on that you're going to take the whole coat off. And we can think about um, the, the coat as, you know, keeping our emotions inside, our anxiety inside when we're not in an appropriate space to express that. Um, and um, it, just a visualization like that sometimes is all we need. Like how much is appropriate for me to let my anxiety out? Because sometimes we do want to let people know, yes, I too am worried about this. This is, a, this is not an inappropriate thing to be anxious about, but let's take a deep breath and step back from it for a moment. So I think that, that visualizations like that can be really helpful. Um, and what tools have you found to be helpful for you, Alan, in, in that practice? Well, I, I had, um, I had a crisis in that first congregation that I served and it, a doozy, uh, which we will not describe on air. No, but, no, that would be wildly inappropriate, but yeah. But I, I decided that, um... I needed to explain this concept of non-anxious presence to my session. And I started by telling that same story about that, uh, that hospital, that first hospital visit and that, uh, our job as leaders in the congregation was not to mirror the anxiety of other people in the congregation but to absorb the anxiety and and to just just say I know I've heard that too it bothers me too but right now we need to let this other process play out and to just listen and empathize and and say yes I feel that too this is not the time to act in this way, that way, or the other way. Um, the, there was there was a legal situation with a member of the congregation, and they needed to let the process the the legal process play out, and uh, and and it was the kind of thing that was going to upset lots and lots of people, and you needed to acknowledge that everybody had a good reason to be upset. Um, that complaints were, were valid, but right now this was not something that the congregation itself could deal with. And we need to find constructive places to apply the energy and anxiety it, out of control anxiety is never a productive place to apply your energy. Uh, a little bit of stage fright before a performance is fine. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> That's a manageable anxiety. And when you have an outlet that you have 
you have an outlet to channel that and you have prepared to channel that that little bit of ang- that little bit of stage fright that kind of anxiety just fine you know um anxiety before a sporting event in which you are competing that's fine <laughs> right but that sort of overwhelming all consuming existential dread uh that's not fine that's never good uh, it, it's never productive and you get locked in a feedback loop that all you can see and hear is every awful possibility ahead of you. Yeah, catastrophizing is never helpful at all. And um, there's a big difference between having like jitters or stage fright. I really appreciate that analogy before a competition or, you know, a performance or something like that, because that's a situation you can control. Uh, but when it's something like, you know, something bad has had, like the, the legal situation at the church and other members wanting to know, um, that anxiety doesn't help anybody in that situation at all to be worried about that thing that you have no control over. And so sometimes being non-anxious is a practice of trust, trusting that the people in control are really in control and doing what they need to do to, to handle the situation. Um, that can be a really hard thing to do. Um, active listening, though, I really appreciate how you said, you know, you listen and reflect back what you're here. I hear that you're nervous about this thing. I, too, am worried about this thing. It's not a small deal at all. There's nothing we can do to change this right now. This is the process that's happening. I think that that can be really important uh, as well. Just letting someone be heard. Sometimes when we're anxious, we just need to vent to somebody, which is why, you know, I can sit and listen to somebody tell me something horrible um, in a pastoral counseling session um, or sometimes just randomly in a line at a store because you happen to have your collar on and someone feels like that's an invitation for confession. Um, but you can, you can hear those things and, and just listen and let that person, that's how you absorb anxiety. I think I heard you use that, that phrase is you just listen, let the person let it out, get it out of their head and into the air. And then you can go do the same with somebody else and let your anxiety out into the air in a safe space. Yeah. Totally. This, these are important practices, I think for everybody not just pastors, not just leaders. Everybody needs to practice figuring out how to be a non-anxious presence, especially right now. Yeah. When everybody's just wound up. Everybody is wound up. And, you know, I, I, I think from my own experiences about when I can turn it off and when I can't turn it off. And when someone else's anxieties are like the polar opposite of my anxieties um or no that's not exactly it when it's when it's a political situation and um it's something that i feel passionate about the other person feels passionate about we're on the opposite sides and somebody says something that is just so unreasonable, nuts, nuts stupid, <laughs> that that 
I feel the need to shine light in there and and counter the stupidity with um, facts or or a really cutting remark. And, and let me guess, that works every time. Oh yes, like it charm. does. <laughs> <laughs> That was my sarcasm voice, everybody. Yes. Yes. I can see your sarcasm <laughs> face too. But Wait, well the listeners can't. No, no. One of these days we'll one of these days we'll uh start putting the, these on YouTube so people can actually uh see our shining faces. Oh god, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> uh no, but in in all seriousness, I, I think I think we all probably have zones where some line of argument or some part of the um, societal conversation is something that just sets our teeth on edge. And we, if something is almost impossible for you to let sit, um, if you can't hear someone say something without pushing back, uh, you need to know that and maybe consider a time when you should not, um, you should not counter that argument, you know, uh, know your triggers, know your triggers. Thank know you. Know your that, triggers. Yes, know, know your triggers, and if you are being triggered, that's something you need to work out, but you don't need to work out in that conversation. Yeah, you can, you can note, ah, that thing triggered something in me that I don't like, or that isn't going to further this conversation, or that blah, blah, blah. Um, you put it in a little, you don't bottle it up for good, but you put it in a little jar and you set it on the shelf for later, and you deal with it later. And you, you figure out why that's a trigger for you. Um, did I ever tell you about the time I had a closet full of root beer explode? No, I don't think you did. <laughs> I don't know how you missed this story. So I got it in my head. I was going to make homemade root beer. Trust me, folks, this is going somewhere relevant. And so, you know, I made it. I bottled it. I put it. You're supposed to put it away for a while so it can carbonate and, and all that. Um, the problem is if you bottle it up and put it away not exactly right and you leave it for too long it explodes not only do but and what happens is when one of them explodes it's not just that one <laughs> that explodes it causes a chain reaction of every single bottle that is all together in that closet explode and so you hear boom 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 boom, boom, boom and then there's just sticky awfulness everywhere <laughs> And now I see your metaphor face. Thank you. Now this is my metaphor. Yeah, I have a sarcasm face, metaphor face. Um, yeah, so that's our emotions, right? We can set one aside for later, and but we have to deal with it. Because if we all we have is a closet full of bottled up emotions and one of those explodes, one of them gets hit by a trigger, they're all going down all at once. Don't do that. That's not being a good non-anxious presence, right? <laughs> that that yes, that is the opposite of an anxious presence. And then, as with so many other explosions, you have to clean up a mess. Yes, you do. And if you're not careful, somebody's going to get hurt. 
probably you. Mm-hmm. Well, that really feels like a stopping place to me. I, you know, it's all fun and games until somebody blows up a closet full of root beer. So I do think we need to, like, pump the brakes for today. Yeah. Gracious God, we ask you on this day and every day to grant us wisdom, to grant us knowledge of ourselves and the things that trigger us. We ask that you send your Holy Spirit to work with us to remove our sources of anxiety so that we do not continue to re-inflict the wounds of this world. We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thanks for joining us on Soft Idolatry. For show notes and more information, check out our website at softidolatry.com. To send us questions or comments, you can email us at info at softidolatry.com. And if you'd like to help support this podcast, please become a patron at www.patreon.com slash softidolatry. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.